um, next week. Bring your suits to church. We're going to do everything right away. You know, cook, cook the stuff. Feed the kids as quick as we can. We're going to have a good time. Swimming, ping pong, messing around. Uh, today my text is Romans 9. Most pastors uh, stop when they get to Romans 8 because how is it? it's hard to beat Romans 8. You've come to the mountaintop of the Scripture, really. Who can separate us from the love of God? And, uh, but, and so that's a good place to quit. Romans 9 isn't the easiest passage of Scripture, but it is the Word of God. And it's uh, good to edify us. And it gives us insight into the divine perspective, uh, our life as seen from God's perspective. Uh, now, we've got to kind of go back. And I timed this and it was way too long, so help me here. We're going to go back and we've got to summarize the first eight chapters. So the, the subject of the book of Romans is the gospel, which means good news. But before he gets into the good news, he gets into the bad news. And the bad news is men are under men and women are under the wrath of God, the anger of God because of their sin, and the refusal to worship him as God, give him thanks. And they've replaced him with other things. And then, of course, you can say, well, that doesn't really apply to the Gentiles because they, they didn't God didn't reveal himself to the Gentiles. Of course, you have Israel, right, the nation, the people of God, and everybody else is Gentiles. But is that right? That they're, they're, they, uh, they're, they're cool because they, God, God never spoke to them, didn't reveal his law to them? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, no. Why, aren't they, why, why are they without excuse? Yeah, because God revealed himself to them in the creation. It's kind of like people, I don't know what they're thinking. I never, did, I never doubted this part of it. Um, I looked at creation as a kid all the way through, and I just knew uh, there was someone behind that who was very intelligent and creative and powerful. It's almost like people looking at a painting, and they say, well, I don't think there's an artist. Well, why not? Well, because... I can't see them. <laughs> no, you can't see them, but you see the evidence of his handiwork. Of course, there's an artist. Uh, so Gentiles, and also the conscience. So in chapter two, it says God has revealed them to Himself to them in their consciences. Maybe not the law of God, but in their conscience. Uh, so they're without excuse. But the Jews, of course, they're better off because they have the law, right? They have the revelation of God. They have the oracles of God. Is that right? They're better off. Does it help them, ultimately? No. They're under the same uh, condemnation. How many understand that it's one thing to know what's right and another thing to do it? <laughs> Everybody's up, yeah. Also, how, you know, do we know what's wrong? And it's another thing to keep from doing it, right? So that's Romans 2. Then Romans 3 kind of gets to the, to the answer. But so we're all in trouble. It comes, the, 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 uh, there's a summary verse in uh, 2.12. 
all who have sinned without the law, who is that? Gentiles. Will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law, who is that? The Jews. They're in trouble too. They'll be judged by the law. We're all in deep doo-doo. Right? So, but maybe there were other people, maybe there are some people that were good enough to make it. Abraham, for instance, wasn't he saved by his righteous deeds? By his faith, yes. And was he saved by his faith before he did the act or after he did the act of circumcision? Before. He was, uh, so, not even Abraham, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It wasn't his own righteousness, it was reckoned to him from outside of himself. So what's the answer? Chapter 5. So it's, in 3 it says we've all sinned, even Abraham. All of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody disagree? Even the kids, they haven't even had much time to sin, but they, they know it. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us for our sins, not his own. And so God can be just and the justifier. He can be just because he has, he has meted out the punishment, not upon us, but upon his son. And, and that's why he can be just and justify us. The words just and righteous are the same in the Greek. So when you read it, you've almost got to read it that way. When it says justify, it's righteous. You know, God justified us. He righteous us. And then Romans 6, it says, well, in Romans 5, it says, well, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So in 6, he says, well, shouldn't we sin then? That, that uh, Shouldn't we continue to sin that grace might abound? The answer is, no, that's a lousy idea, you know. Uh, in fact, I like Romans 6 because it answers the question, can people really change? Can they change? Yes. On what basis? The grace of God. In our baptism, we are united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection in order to walk in newness of life. Can we change? Yes. We cannot not change. That's what it says. We cannot not change. Praise God, there's hope for us. But the, so, of course, the law is the answer. God gave it on Sinai. But in chapter 7, Paul gives you the picture of when he was a Pharisee and um, under the law and what it was like and how powerless he was to keep it. So at the end, he cries out in agony, O wretched man that I am, who will, who will uh, deliver me? from this situation? And the answer comes in eight. Does it come from man? What is reformed? Reformed is salvation is of God. In a word, that's what reform means. It's all God. If it was any of us, we'd be in trouble. So what the law could not do, this is Romans 8, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, that's what this table is about. 
God condemned sin in the flesh that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to change our lives and to make us like Himself. In, in, in chapter 8 it says, We are in Christ. Christ is in us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We are sons of God, heirs of God. We call Him Daddy. And this can't be taken away from us. This cannot be taken away from us. Is that good news? It was God's idea in the first place. It is His work. He chose us, predestined us, called us, made us righteous on the basis of His Son's sacrifice, empowered us, and He will finish the work. Your destiny is glory, if you're His. Your destiny is glory. It would be fun to see every, all you guys up there. <laughs> Glorified. It's, it's a real pleasure to be up here. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ since it's all His work start to finish? Is anybody going to mess it up? Even us? No. Well, how can you be so sure? This is Now we get to finally get to Romans 9. How can you be so sure? Because Israel was God's people. And look at them now. Most of them don't believe in Jesus, haven't received the Messiah or salvation. This is a problem for Paul. Paul is, Paul is having to deal with this problem. So how can you be so sure, Mr. Christian, if the Jews haven't done so good? Now, did Jews believe in Jesus? Some of them? Yeah, how much of the early church was made up of Jews? All of it. It wasn't until seven or eight years after the ascension of Jesus that Cornelius came came into the kingdom probably. Seven or eight years before that time it was all Jews. And then even then in, in Acts six it says many priests believed. And in twenty one, when Paul goes to, to James, James says, There are thousands of believers in this town. One one city, Jerusalem. Thousands. So yes, many, many uh Jew, Jewish if they hadn't believed, we wouldn't be here. So there should be no anti-Semitism in us. We should be grateful. But this is, Paul writes this letter in 57, 58. It's 30 years after the resurrection. And by that time, yeah, it hadn't done so. Now, were there Jews in the church in Rome? Yeah, there was. Because that's what 14 is about. That's really what 9 is about. So, yeah, there, there's Jews and Gentiles in the church, and that's part of what he has to deal with. So he perceives the problem. He perceives the pain. He's in anguish about um, the Jews. For the most part, most of them didn't uh, accept the Messiah. They're God's chosen people. So has God failed? Did he fail to keep his promises? That's what he's dealing with in nine. And, of course, there, were, there was a controversy. The Jews were mad at him. Because right in 8, he said, what do you mean the Gentiles have now received the blessings that were previously confined to Israel? Adopted as children? No, that's us. That's not those Gentiles. Having received his spirit, heirs of his glory? See, that was for Israel. That wasn't for the Gentiles. So Paul, Paul came under fire for that. Romans 9.1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. 
I'm not lying. That always bothers me when people say, <laughs> they say they're not lying, but anyhow. You know, like, to be honest, I like that, because what were you going to be, dishonest with me? <laughs> I hope you were going to be, anyhow. Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So he's pretty sure about this. He's speaking the truth in Christ. It's not just his conscience bearing witness, but it's also in the Holy Spirit. Does does your conscience speak to you? Do you listen? <laughs> yeah. Um, how many have heard the audible voice of God? Anybody? I have never heard it. I wish I would, but he hasn't talked to me in that way. How many have heard the voice of your conscience? Yeah. The witness of God. And, and a lot of times it's in combination. So the Holy Spirit and your conscience are together, and sometimes it's so close together you can't perceive if that's my conscience or is that the Holy Spirit. He's previously said, um, yeah, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So th- they two work together. God and man work together. So who is Jesus? God and man. What is the Word of God? The Word of man and the Word of God. Uh, there's a lot of things like that. Sometimes you won't, you won't distinguish. It's hard to distinguish the voice of God. Your brothers and sisters will help you. So if you release it, sometimes you don't know because sometimes you think God is saying something to you and you're not sure. Well, the, 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 the brothers and sisters will help you discern it. They, they know it. All right, so um, there's more to say. I cut a lot of it out. All right, Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What's ripping him up here? For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He was deeply personally distressed over this to the point where he would have traded his salvation for theirs if he could. Now, some people... you. Hopefully you guys, some people will say that the Jews are saved by their covenant and the Christians are saved by the new covenant. Well, this passage and many others show that that's not right. Otherwise, why would he be distressed? They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption. The nation was referred to as God's son. Next one. The glory, in, in chapter 3 it says the oracles. You could read, I, originally I was going to go back to chapter 3 because it talks about the, their, they, what advantage has the Jew and the oracles. You can read it yourself. But there's a lot of, he foreshadows in chapter 3 a lot of the book of Romans, including 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. It's all foreshadowed in chapter 3. The adoption, the glory, they had the manifest glory of God in, the, in Mount Sinai. He appeared to them in the tabernacle, in the temple. The covenants, in Ephesians 2, it says, Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants. The covenants with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we'll get into it, David. Um, the giving of the law, the moral wisdom that came through Moses. 
the worship or the service, which is probably refers to the sacrifice of the Old Testament that foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And then he says, To them belong the patriarchs, the fathers, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. So they, there's some argument about this, but this scripture says with the best manuscripts, Jesus is God, right? He's man because he, he, had, he came according to the flesh, right? So it teaches both. He came according to the flesh. He's man, but he is also God overall, blessed forever. And only God should be worshipped. And in the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God who is in the midst of the throne is worshipped. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. So he's answering, this is uh, chapter, uh, verse 6. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Paul is saying the word of God did not fail. He'll support this position with scripture. And the question is, are you in a covenant by physical de- descent? This applies to the kids in this room. Are you, are you in the covenant because your parents are? The answer is no. You, you have to be called You have to believe and call on the name of the Lord yourself. Not all who are descended from Israel or Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, belong to the true Israel, the true people of God, the people of the promise. He's introducing the idea that there is within Israel another, a true Israel, a remnant. And to support this, he will will use Scripture. He uses uh, Israel's grandfather, who is anybody? Abraham, and he uses his dad, Isaac. And not all children of Abraham, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Yeah, so you want to be a child, not just of physical descent, but of the promise. Galatians 3.28, I'll read it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, There is neither slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. It's pretty revolutionary that Paul would say that to Gentiles back in that day. Today we take it for granted, but aren't you glad that if you're in Christ, you're you're Abraham's offspring? I bet Jill knows Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons of Father Abraham. Okay. Does the sun come up in the east and set in the west? Yeah. Right? What's, where'd that come from? I thought we were in Romans 9. Yeah, we're getting there. Well, what if I said to you, it doesn't really come up. You know, the sun stays still. 
and the earth turns on its axis, and it looks like the sun is moving, what would you say to that? Yeah. So, and they're both kind of true, aren't they? One, one is the way we, it seems to be to us. The other one is probably the way it really is. Uh, to me, it's like divine perspective and human perspective. From a human perspective, the sun comes up in the east, sets in the west. From the divine perspective, the earth turns on its axis. So it depends on your perspective. You can make statements, and they're both true pretty much, right? And that's how the Bible is. That's helped me a lot. The Bible teaches both the human perspective and the divine perspective. Chapter, chapters 8 and 9 are pretty much divine perspective. Chapter 10 is human perspective. And we won't, well, we won't get there fully today, but maybe next time. So God is sovereign, right? Over everything. Divine perspective. Man makes real choices and is responsible for his choices. Human perspective. Two sides of the same coin. All right, now we get into the scripture. That was preparation for this. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. I didn't say about Abraham. Yeah, did Abraham have another son other than uh, Isaac at the time? Yeah, what was his other son? Ishmael. Was Ishmael a child of the covenant? Did he get blessed? Yes, he got blessed. But was he, was he the child of the promise and of the covenant? No, it was, it was Isaac. But was, was he a descendant of Abraham? Yes. So it's not just physical descent. All right, then uh, Rebecca conceived children by one man in one act, because these guys were twins, uh, with our forefather Isaac. And though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, nothing, in order that God's purpose of election, which means his sovereign choice, might stand, might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It's not because of us. It's because him who, of him who calls us. It was in our music this morning. Praise God. Um, she was told, the older will serve the younger. It was an inverse of what normally was. The older was the one in charge. The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. So who's tr- who is the one who is truly free, God or man? God. Whose choice is primary in the, in the universe? God. Now this is, you know, not everybody agrees with that. But yes, it seems to me obvious, and it seems to me that's what this verse is talking, this chapter is talking about. Does God's choice of, of a man depend on the man or what the man does? No. Before they had done anything, good or, good or evil. God says, I'll take, I'll take uh, Jacob. Before they were born, before they had done anything, um, God chose them. Why? Well, we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you? I don't know. God does what he wants. Okay. Now, 
He chooses Jacob, right? Was Jacob a saint? Was he a righteous person in himself? What does his name mean? Yeah, deceiver, liar. Did he live up to his name? Yeah. Is there hope for you and me? If God calls us, even if we're not perfect, because we're not, is there hope for us? Yes. We're called, you know, we're in the true Israel. Jacob, that's, that's Jacob. God named his nation after Jacob. Praise God. All right, so um, what shall we say then? So he says, I just got, before they did anything, I chose Jacob. And then he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, he says. For he says to Moses, like we all deserve the wrath. We all deserve the condemnation and the damnation. So, so that's why there's no injustice. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Praise God, he does. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends, he says it again, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. To me, this makes me love the Lord. Uh, yeah, thank God for His mercy. Now, some people say, well, isn't that unjust for Him to pick Jacob over Esau, etc.? And um, they say, I don't like that. I had a guy say that to me. I don't like that. I don't like that idea of hell. And it's hard to say this gently. Uh, it doesn't matter if you like it. Um, that's the way it is. Wisdom is dealing with realities, not with what we wish was the case. You can say, I don't like death. Who likes death? I don't like death. Well, it's still a reality, right? Hell, evil. Some people, you know, if they're falling off a big building, don't like gravity. But, you know, you just it doesn't matter if you don't like it. There are realities with which you must deal. Does the Bible teach God's choice or election depends on what the man does? No. Does it depend on God, God foreseeing what the man will do? No. God's choice does not depend on human will or acts, just on God who has mercy. In a sense, this is good news because how many of us, how many of you deserve God's mercy? We don't, right? None of us deserve the good things he gives us, so I'm glad that it's, it's uh, his doing and not ours. The Scripture says to Pharaoh on 17, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may, might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So Paul has illustrated this point from Scripture using the example of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau. Now he turns to Pharaoh, stating that he raised up Pharaoh for a purpose. What was the purpose? That I might show my power in you. And his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Pharaoh's obstinance and resistance to God may actually made his defeat all the more glorious. You see that? Similarly, uh, a diamond, how is it displayed? Against the black backdrop, right? Makes it. And he, there's a little bit of inkling of the problem of evil, the answer to it. God's power and His glory is more beautifully displayed against the backdrop of evil. Right? Yeah, He has mercy on whomever He will. He hardens whomever He will. This seems unfair to us from our perspective, but as Christians we submit to the Word of God. It is above us. You know, we're not above it. We don't judge the Bible. It judges us. We don't judge God. Say, I don't like, I don't like him. He judges us. So we have to be, uh, yeah. I'm just thankful that for some reason, not found in me, God has chosen to have mercy on me. We are not proud as Christians. We are humble. And we do not boast. We give all the glory to God for his grace. Right? It all goes to God. Praise God for His grace. You will say to me, going on with verse 19, you will say to me then, well, how does, why does He still find fault? Who can resist His will? Well, who can resist His will? What's the answer? Nobody. And so He's saying, this doesn't seem fair. Does Paul answer the question? Well, here's his answer. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And what is the answer? Yeah, the potter can do whatever he wants. He does not have to give an account to his pot. So we know that God does find fault, right? That men are guilty and God holds them responsible for their action. We also know, based on Revelation, that God is sovereign over history and the actions of men. We do not know how they fit together, logically. I don't know how to harmonize them logically. But I know they're true because the Bible teaches both. The other thing is, why would we expect to understand that? Why would we expect to understand the universe? Completely. Because what are, who are we? What are we? Well, we're little, tiny people. We're little pots with limited understanding. So why would we expect to understand everything? Um, isn't it better to trust the one who created it all, the potter with a capital P? That seems uh, very reasonable to me, to, to, to trust him over my own head. That's arrogant to go around with just following your own head. All right, we're getting there. What if God, desiring to show, here's chapter, uh, verse 22, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known in order to, what is his purpose in this? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand 
for glory, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but, praise God, also from the Gentiles. I had my DNA tested. I got no Jewish blood in me whatsoever. I was disappointed. But anyhow, I got 2% Nigerian, though. So that was good. All right. So there's two kinds of vessels, vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. Which vessel would you rather be? Yeah, mercy. God endures evil people and evil people with evil and evil people with patience, it says, for a purpose. In the end, he will make known the power and the riches of his glory. You haven't seen the end of the movie yet. Yes, it looks bad out there. And some of it just, we, we can't understand. How could people be so evil? But you, you haven't seen the end of it. There will be, the, he will make known his glory, and in the, in the end, this will all make sense. It'll be fun. I think it's going to be a blast. Now for the revolutionary part, God has, he chose a subset of Abraham's posterity, right? Which we would expect, a remnant. And then, but he also chose as vessels of mercy, Gentiles. And that's, that was really weird back in the day. At one time, we Gentiles were separated from Christ. Ephesians 2 says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants, no hope, no God in the world, out in the dark, out in the cold. Um, but then Hosea comes and Paul applies it to the Gentiles. He says, those who are not my people, God says, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. That's you and me. Now concerning Israel, so he uses Hosea to talk about the Gentiles, and Paul uses Isaiah to talk about Israel. And What does he say about Israel? Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. So has God been true to his promise? Did he promise to save all of Israel? No, he just said, if they're, I don't care if they're like the sands of the sea, only a, a remnant will be saved. So God, Paul has answered the question. God has not failed. He has, he has been true to his promise. And he has, uh, he has saved some of them. Verse 29, as Isaiah predicted, similarly, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring or seed, I've got a word, a sermon on that, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And we're stopping here because the verses in chapter 9 fit better with chapter 10, which we'll get to maybe sometime. But I don't want to leave you there because we've gone over the divine perspective but in chapter 10, he switches to the human perspective, and it's kind of how it seems to us. And there's some real, uh, in chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. How many confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord? And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Do you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead? You will be saved on the authority of the Word of God. So, if, 
Yes, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, so it, you, you need to believe, you need to confess the Lord, and uh, that's, that's one, make the choice. One side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the divine perspective. You are a vessel of mercy. That's what happens. People believe. That's what happened to me. People, I believed in the Christ. You know, I came to the Lord. Actually, He called me. <laughs> but you flip it over. You, you flip over the coin and you say, chosen before the foundation of the world. That's what it says. Predestined to be predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. You have been effectually called by the Sovereign One, declared righteous on the basis of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, not on the basis of your own works, and you will be glorified. You are secure in the love of Christ because your salvation does not depend on you. It depends on Him. It is His work from start to finish, and He is faithful. Hallelujah. Will the brothers come? And this uh, meal, you know, this is for those who are called. 